You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. Today, we're going to talk about something that's been coming up with a lot of our clients lately. There's a lot of discussion about how do we manage people? How do we lead people? And how do we hold them accountable? So here's the, here's the discussion. Then I'm going to, I'm going to throw out a scenario as we bring in our team for this, but here's, here's the, what I think a lot of leaders are struggling with is there's kind of the old school style of management of, I tell you what you need to do because you work for me and because I sign your paychecks. And so therefore you're going to do it. And if you decide to not do those things, eventually I'm just going to stop paying you. That's what I'm going to do. And that's going to be the level of accountability that's built in. It's nice because it's very clear cut. I ask you to do the thing and then I pay you for the thing. If you don't do the thing, I don't pay you for the thing. That's the old school management style. And that works. That's been out there for a long time. But a lot of people are now recognizing this idea of servant leadership or what we call people-centric leadership. And servant leadership and people-centric leadership orbit each other. They're not exactly the same thing. We'll dive in and talk about that a little bit more. But it's this idea that instead of relying on the power that I have as a manager over people, I am more forming a relationship with people. I'm more I'm engaging people at a level and I'm trying to influence them and have them influence me so that they really feel increased ownership in the thing that they do. And so then they perform at a higher level. And all that is really true that people will perform at a higher level. But what if they don't? Because what if they still decide not to do the thing that you need them to do? Then what do you do? And there's some leaders that we've seen that have said, oh, if I'm going to be very people-centric or if I'm going to be a servant leader, that means what about accountability? When do I go to somebody and say, I need you to do this because you have to do this? What does that look like? So we're going to jump into that topic today uh, and we're going to start off. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce the team. I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of me asking a random question for you, I'm going to set this up with a little bit of a story. And it's a real story from a client of ours. Uh, and it's a really simple accountability story. And then I'm going to jump in and I'm going to ask you, you questions and I'll introduce who's, who's on the call for us today. But here's the story is we have a manufacturer and they're making parts. And so they're making the parts and they have operators out in the field and they're putting these parts together. And when they finish making the part, they're supposed to scan it. They have a little scanner and they boop, they scan it and then they put it into the bin and then they make it and they go boop and then they put it into the thing. It literally makes the boop sound. So that is an accurate representation of what happens there. Well, what the, the plant manager called me one day and said, they're not doing the boops, right? They're not... They're not putting out the, I'm enjoying making the sound now. Uh, they're not, they're not scanning it. They're making the parts, but they're not scanning it. And they stop scanning it because it's easier to not scan it. And they said, well, do you need them to scan it? And they said, yeah, we actually need them to scan it because they need to know down downstream what's happening. Management needs to know what's happening. There's lots of reasons for them to need to know what they are doing. So they have to scan the parts as they go by, but they stopped scanning them. And so I said, okay, well, can you let's start scanning them again. And he said, well, I've told the supervisor that we need to start scanning those again and they're still not scanning them. And so he was out of ideas. Like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. 
So we're going to start off with that story a little bit, and I'm going to ask the question. We've got uh, Bethany. I'm going to put you on the spot first. We've got Bethany Taff, our engagement manager at People Centric, who's on the call. Hello. And Bethany, Bethany, welcome, to, welcome to the podcast here. Um, my question to you is: as the supervisor of that department, if you were running that and you saw people not scanning the parts, what might your approach be for that? Uh, I'm just putting myself in that uh, from the outside looking in. I think my first response would just be to ask them why they're not scanning them <laughs> and not in like a judgmental way, just as a, like a, hey, part of my understanding is that part of the process is that we have to scan these. We have to do the boop. <laughs> we have to boop. <laughs> we have to do the so, but I'm just curious, like, why are we not like, what's, why are we not doing it? I would just want to know, and maybe they don't know, or maybe they have another reason that I'm not aware of. That's probably just where I would start with a conversation, honestly. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think the old school way of doing that is it's like, why do, you know, the old school way is because I told you to, that's why you're supposed to do that. Because I told you to do that. Why do I need to explain the why? So why are you going back to the why, Bethany? What makes your, I like that first step. Why are you doing that? Because sometimes I might not know all the, I might not know genuinely. There might be a reason that I'm unaware of, of why they have decided not to do that. Or it might just be that they are, they are not aware that we are supposed to do this, or they might not understand why they're supposed to be doing it or the purpose of that. And so I would, then I kind of know which direction to take because either I need more information or they need more information and I can figure out how to, how to tackle the conversation from, from there. Yeah. I love that response. I think it's really important because you don't know if you got in there, the booper might be like way across the room right? It may be something that's really hard to do. It might be, they don't have, yeah, they don't have the tool that they need. Something's broken. It's not where, you know, and in which case, like I need to be aware of that too, especially if I'm not like boots on the ground doing what they're doing every single day. Yeah. Yeah. We need more booper boots to be able to (laughs) find out what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And it is funny on this specific case, I think that the supervisor wasn't sure why they weren't doing what they were doing. Yeah. At the beginning of this process, at least they weren't sure why they weren't jumping into it. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of a, a story when I was growing up, my friend, Jason, if he's listening, Jason, give me a shout out there. He was, he and I, my, my, he was over at my house to play. I mean, we were probably like four or five years old or something like that. And my mom said, Hey, go wash up and we're going to eat lunch. And so went to the bathroom, wash hands, came back. And my mom said, Hey, did you guys wash your hands? And I said, yes. And Jason said, no. And my mom says, no, Jason, go wash your hands. I told you to go wash your hands. And so he disappears and he comes back and she says, okay, did you wash your hands? And he said, no, I didn't wash your hands. And he's like, Jason, you go wash your hands right now or you're going to get in trouble. Like, I'm, you're going to get in trouble. You're not going to get lunch. And so he disappears and comes back and she's, did you wash your hands this time? And he's almost crying. Like, no, I didn't. And she's like, why have you not washed your hands? Finally asked the Bethany questions. Why have you not washed your hands yet? He couldn't reach the sink. He was, we were significantly different heights. And so it was, he's oh, used to me guy. as a five-year-old, I could just reach over the sink and everything and do that. He couldn't quite reach the sink. And yeah. me being his best friend, didn't watch for that or see that or anything else. I was hungry, I guess. So I just abandoned him apparently at the I sink. Feel, I feel this story in my bones. In this my, one, this one hurts you. Bones. 
<laughs> as as my son would say, you have a hole in one in your heart now. Oh. It hurts, right? Yeah. yeah. So so I like that question about the why because you don't know there might be a good reason why they're not doing that. So let's try to figure out what that is. But uh, now you've heard a little bit. Diana Royalty is also on the call with us. I uh, said on the call with us. It's not really a call on the podcast on this episode with us. The rest of our team is out on assignment working with real clients, just as we are prone to do. Uh, but Diana, I'm going to ask you the second question on that. If you followed Bethany's approach and you went in and you found out there's not a good reason why they're not doing it, yeah. what's the next step? All You're all fired. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, and you know what is funny is like my initial reaction to the story is like these freaking people, like why I pay you to be here, like do, do the job. I wrote the process, do the job. I don't, this drives me crazy. So that's my initial. And then I'm like, okay, let's get more information. I love Bethany's like, ask the why, figure it out. But I think if there's no real reason, right? Let's just say they have the boopers. The boopers work is not hard. It seems not hard. And, and they're not getting in trouble because they're not booping. I don't know. It, se- it seems like I just don't want to boop today. If it's just don't you want- don't want to boop, right? <laughs> just I don't want to boop. Um, I think there's something to be said for giving them more information about why they need to right? the like down the line, right? If you don't do this, then this happens. So if this is happening, how can we prevent this from happening? It kind of reminds me of a story we had about some childcare facility workers who you're not supposed to be on your phone when you're taking care of children. Like that's just a rule. And they kept saying like, okay, fine. We won't be on our phone. We won't be on our phone, but they were on their phone all the time. And so the daycare uh, owner started like collecting phones at the door, but then they realized that the phones they were collecting were like old flip phones, not really the phones that these people were using. Right. So people were turning in old flip phones and then keeping their phones. And so the, and then, you know, the owner started like writing people up and firing people and it just like wasn't getting solved. And so what we decided to do was just bring everyone together and say, here's the deal. Here's the problem. Here's why it's a problem. How do we solve the problem? And all of them said, like, we legitimately won't be on our phones. Like that solves the problem. It saves the children from, you know, Life from death and our liability. Like this is, we shouldn't be on our phones anyway, but we told them all of the issues that go along with why being on your phone is a bad thing during childcare. Right. And so then they thought through it and they were like, all right, we don't need to be on our phones. And then after that, they weren't on their phones and they policed each other. So they started saying like, Hey man, you can't be on your phone. And so then it was just part of the culture, but we leaned into them to solve the problem, not not the owner solved the problem. The owner presented the problem and said, how do you guys want to solve this? And they fixed it. They did it themselves. I'd forgotten about that story. My favorite part of that story is how innovative people will be and how hard they will work to overcome a process that they don't feel is just for whatever reason, like bringing in an old phone, uh, just like a sacrificial phone of like, you know, how long have you had a flip phone? What is this? Is this a Here's my Nokia brick. (laughs) Although I think the flip phones are like back, maybe. They are back. I've heard that's coming back. 
Yeah. They're I way remember, more satisfying to hang up on people. Just it is too. Remember the razors? Those were cool. Those razor yeah, those phones. Were so awesome. I did like those. Never had one of those, but I always thought I because the iPhones came out, I think, shortly after they came yeah, out. But I thought they were really cool. Yeah. So that's what we really need to dig into is more of the old phones. <laughs> but I it, I think that story is fantastic because what's missing is going back to what Bethany talked about is you can focus on the what and you miss the why. And then people, your people miss out on the opportunity to feel ownership about what they're going to do. Uh, there's an old saying of like, show me how you're going to measure me and I'll show you how I measure up. And it's amazing how hard people will work to avoid work sometimes to avoid things that they don't want to do, or they don't see why they need to do it. Uh, one of my favorite stories is when I was an engineer at 3M, we had to enter in a code for taxes uh, every time we would buy something. And it was, there was a huge code list and it was really long and everything. And they didn't really, they, they kind of trained us like just, but the training was enter in this code when you go to buy this thing. And the codes were, when you'd go to open it, it just took forever to try to find codes. Well, the first year in doing this for the, on the software, the number one most used code was live animals. So if you followed the software, if you but believe- Don, But Don, did yeah. you ever buy a live animal? I never bought one live animal. I did work. I did, it's funny. I told that story and they, people were like, didn't you work in an adhesive plant? I don't- <laughs> I don't think they still make the glue the way that they used to make the glue. White animals running around. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, did you buy horses? That's sad. That's I don't, bad, isn't it? Like don't people love are, that. yeah, you're probably a questioning everything that you know about glue right now. Quit horsing around. Oh, there we go. There we go. We took a Gallup poll and we found out that, okay, sorry. Sorry. We're throwing horse puns at you. But yeah, so obviously we weren't buying all like it, across all of 3M, the number one most purchased thing was not live animals. We don't, I, in fact, I don't think I ever bought a live animal. In fact, I know I've never bought a live animal anytime I was an engineer, nor do I know any engineers who bought a live animal. The, so why was that the number one thing to purchase? Uh, one is a side thing is one is because it's kind of funny. If you're trying to buy something, the software would take it, by the way, it would accept it, whatever you did. Like I'd buy a pump and I, you could put live animal on it and it, and it would take it. So in an engineer's sense of humor, that's kind of funny. Like <laughs> I bought this pump that's like a live animal. Uh, but the real number one reason was, is because live animal happened to be category 00001. So it was the first thing on the list. So people just would, were pencil whipping that, that field and it would take it and then they would move on. And so property accounting tried all these different things to try to get people to understand like what it was, what the problem was, you know, how to code it. And they started getting into all this stuff. And what actually fixed the problem goes back to like what Diana and Bethany talked about was they came back and said, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? And then we had a meeting with some of the engineers and some of the property accounting people and they got together and they said, first of all, look how many menus there are. It's ridiculous. Like how deep you have to go into this stuff. And then second of all, why is this important anyway? And property accounting shared and they put some numbers up and it turned out like it had cost 3M tens of millions of dollars, the wrong codes being put into that. And they explained how it was for tax purposes and how that aligned and everything else. And so what ended up happening were the two groups worked together to simplify the menu while still making it have the same impact at the end of the day. So they got to work together and then the process got more accurate, like it got better after that because people built ownership into that process. When we talk about servant leadership and that concept specifically comes out, it's a very popular concept and people like the idea of that. 
you know, when does accountability fall into that? You can use servant leadership to build accountability, but what, uh, here's my question, I guess, for you two, if you use that servant leadership and I want you to do the thing, what if you still don't do it? Like, where do you go with that? What if you, I'm trying to get you to build ownership, but what if you still don't own it at the end of the day? What are my options there? Can you back up for just a second and talk a little bit about the concept of servant leadership? I don't know if that's like a common known thing for a lot of our listeners, but it is something our clients are talking about and they might hear about it. So can you talk about some of the concepts in servant leadership? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So servant leadership, I mean, servant leaders, they interact with others to achieve authority rather than using their power. So that, that's the simplest, like one sentence definition of that. So instead of me saying like, you're going to do this because I'm your boss and because I said so, they're going to use other skill sets. Like, like what some of the things that you just described, like I'm going to explain why we do the things that we're doing right now, or we're going to talk, I'm going to engage you and see show you what the impact is going to be at the bigger picture, or I'm going to find out why is this difficult to do this? I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to engage you to learn more about why this is difficult. So the servant leader isn't thinking about just, I need you to do this for me. It's what are you missing from me that I can then serve you to help you to do the thing that you're doing. Um, Unfortunately, that gets spun sometimes to saying that's anti-accountability now. So now if they won't do it, now I have no choice because I've, I went and I asked you, I'm serving you. I've asked you to do it. And you're still telling me you're not going to boop. So what do I do now? So you're saying if I were a, a servant leader, like a true servant leader, then my people wouldn't be held accountable because I'm I trying to be a servant leader. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so hard. I'm so hard, but now you won't do the boop and I need you to do the boop, but I'm a servant leader. So like, I guess just don't do the boop and um, I'll figure I'll something it, else out. Like, I'll just do the boop for you. That's the servant leader. I've yeah. seen that kind of thing before. Like, I'll just, I'll come in and I'll do the boops for you. I'll figure that out. Or I'll, I'll yeah. try to do all these things to accommodate all the things that you need. And now, now we're getting, now the word coddling comes up. Now it's not just, I've bypassed accountability. Now I'm coddling you to see what can I do to make it easier? Because this is getting really hard. And some of the managers who are listening right now are going like yelling at the, at the radio or wherever you're listening to this on or your podcast and, and or yelling at the, the radio. We're not on the radio. We're not, not yet. We're not on the radio yet. Maybe Somebody could pick us up. We're open to that, by the way, if you're yeah. interested in syndicates. Well, I I mean, I think that what you're saying is like, they think there's a lot, like, how do I hold people accountable? I think, yeah, there's a misconception that being a servant leader makes you kind of passive, which is why some people don't want to be like a servant leader, right? Because they're like, how the heck are we going to get anything done around here if I'm a servant leader? Like somebody's got to be in charge, right? And I think that's just, I think that's a misconception of it. Like, I think that that doesn't mean that you don't, you aren't holding people accountable. That doesn't mean you don't hold a line um, on some things that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, I think you still have to have really difficult conversations, even as a servant leader. And some people think that like, man, this is like, this goes back to even like just having like, <laughs> I'm just thinking getting really, you know, psychological, but I'm thinking about like, even in, if people think like having positive or good relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships or whatever is like, well, that means that like they can't have any conflict involved in them. And that's just not true. 
is like any healthy relationship has to have conflict to be, to stay healthy. And so even as a servant leader, I think that you have to be able to embrace like healthy levels of conflict when necessary, but knowing that like, there are probably some steps to take before you just like, you know, you don't want to like lash out and just be like, what the heck everybody, why aren't you doing your jobs? It's the asking those questions first to figure out what's going on. Because we always talk about like good, good communication only happens when you know you might be wrong. So start there. And I think that's a really good place for a servant leader to start is to like go into it with that mindset. And then you might be wrong or there might be another issue that's happening and you have to be able to deal with that and know that like that healthy conflict is okay to happen. You don't have to be a jerk about it. (laughs) You can hold people accountable. Yeah, when we think about servant leadership, there's such a focus on the empowerment side of things. There's a lot of focus on that. When we talk about people-centric, we say it's a balance between empowerment and alignment. So empowerment's what the individual needs, right? It's it's them taking ownership of something. But then the alignment piece is what the organization or what the team needs. So like in the example of the booping, right? The individuals don't need the boop, the team needs the boop. So servant leadership, if you make that mistake and you focus too much on the empowerment side and you unbalance that team, then you do get low accountability from that. If it's like, oh, if you don't want to boop, it's okay, right? Then it's then I guess we'll, the team will have to adjust to the individuals who don't want to do this. But that's not people-centric. Like we have to balance those two things out. Yeah, we also call that like people-centric versus person-centric. If the person or the individual isn't doing something, that's person-centric. That's you're not helping the team, which is the people. And so you kind of have to focus on the bigger picture sometimes and say, we need the boop for the team. The team needs the boop. So individual, you can't not boop. You got to boop. Yeah. It's the impact. It's the impact, like making sure people understand how this is impacting either the rest of the team or the customers or whoever clients that you're serving, there probably is that kind of impact. So sometimes it's just helping people see that and understand like, what does that, what does that actually mean? Or what does that look like? Yeah. And I've also seen the servant leaders do this thing where it's like, or, or people trying to be servant leaders do the thing where they're like, well, I'm a servant leader. So if something's not getting done, I, I, I fall on the sword and I go do it. And servant leadership isn't this weird martyrdom. Like you don't have to fall on the sword. You don't have to pick up everything. You don't have to go do it yourself. That's not, that's not what servant leadership is about. It's still about the team. It's still about the boundaries and the communication and the collaboration. It's not about you picking up all the pieces. And I think servant leadership sometimes leads itself to thinking, I am serving you by taking care of it myself, which in the end isn't serving anyone. No, it's such a, I think that that's a really dangerous place. Not that you can never, I think there's like moments, you choose your moments of like, when you're saying like, you know what, I'm going to take this and I'll pick this up. But when you get into the habit of it, it's actually going to become really, really bad for your team because then people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And you're going to become as the leader really bitter and burned out. And so there's lots of damage that can happen with that. You're going to treat your people poorly, probably as you keep going, because you're frustrated that they're not doing the thing they're supposed to be doing because you decided to just pass over it. So I think that could cause more damage than good. 
So any of our friends out there who do help companies with servant leadership, I'm sure you're listening to the beginning of this and saying servant leadership does not preach a lack of accountability. That's a misinterpretation of what servant means. So that's what we're leaning into here. And the same thing for people centric from that standpoint. And sometimes we have said, you know, it's time to fire that person. I think about when I was working, when I was managing contractors, I had an electric electrician who's a supervisor who I found in the back of the plant smoking a cigarette, leaning against a propane tank. There are multiple things that were wrong. There's a no smoking facility. There's no place to smoke in that facility. That person's a supervisor leading other people who's supposed to be accounting, holding them accountable to things that I can't see them do. There was no servant leadership moment on that. You clearly crossed a line and I had to fire that person. If you almost could have possibly blown up you and the whole plant, you're pro- that's a pretty instant, like, yikes, you weren't using your head here, bud. Yeah. Yeah. There's mistakes that happen like that. There's things that were like, oh boy, that's too bad. You went too far down the road. And although there's all these moments, I'd love to be able to coach you or help you with all that stuff. There's times when you just have to get fired. And we'd absolutely endorse that. And it's to maintain that alignment and that connection with the team over the empowerment side of it. I mean, there's, there's moments when that happens. Sometimes when we train managers, I like to think of it this way, is if somebody else makes a mistake, your employee makes a mistake, or they're not doing something they're supposed to be doing, when you engage that employee, as Bethany started off with, like if I'm talking to them saying, okay, hey, we're supposed to boop and we're not booping, what's going on? Tell me about why, where, how did the de-boopification process begin here, you know, and how do we re-boopify this facility and, and get, get, get a booping, right? That's what we're looking for. So much fun. <laughs> This is really good, right? I I don't, I'm not certain how it started, but I feel like this is going to become part of the lexicon forever now. It's going to be part of the re-boopification. language. Reboopification. Reboopification. <laughs> That's how we reboopify. Um, the question is, you know, as a supervisor already where you're at. So you already know what you're thinking. You already know that it's important. You already know that that is a line that you have to draw. You have to boop, right? That's the line you draw. What you don't know about this equation is the other the other half of it. You don't know where the other person's at. That's why you have to engage them about that. So one of the things I think you're looking for big picture is not just the, well, there could be the excuses of why, well, it's too hard or it's too heavy or it's too far away or I don't like it or it takes extra time or all those other things. But the one thing I'm looking at behind the scenes as a supervisor is, is the other person owning it or not? Are they owning the fact that it needs to be booped? If they're standing there and they're open the conversation by saying, oh, yeah, you know, we stopped doing that because we were cranking out a bunch of parts. It's my fault. I'm sorry to do that. Or, hey, I didn't know that, but I'm happy to start picking that up for you. That shows a lot of sign of ownership for that person. And then now as a supervisor, I'm looking at that going, okay, if they're going to own it, then all I have to do is focus on the, my tool sets are like training and coaching, right? Training, meaning if you have questions, ask me. Coaching, meaning I might have to ask you some questions to help you to understand the importance of all of this stuff, right? So that's it's on that side. Now back to the top of the decision tree. If they don't own it, if they're like, well, it's stupid, it's 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 stupid, maybe I don't want to boop. Uh you always make us stupid. Uh yeah, that's well, hard. Yeah. I had to stretch that one out. I'm sorry that for that good, one. But it was good. I had to, I I had to work it. that one in. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to commit. If they're pushing back and saying, like, I don't want to have to do that. Hey, this other person doesn't do it. So I stopped doing it. It's the stuff that shows that they're clearly not showing ownership in the process. Then you have to fall on a whole different set of tools. Now that's not training. That's not a knowledge thing. Now you have to get into the accountability side, which really goes into two areas. Number one, it's what we call radical clarity which we've talked about before of saying it is really part of your job to boop. 
And one of the things that the supervisor did end up having to say to at least one of the people out there is to say, if you didn't scan it, it didn't happen. So like yesterday, you made no parts out here. And I know you were out here all day. I'm not going to pay you to make no parts. So you need to get credit for the parts you're making. So just to be radically clear, you if you didn't scan it, it didn't happen. And I'm not going to pay you for it you know, tomorrow for not scanning any parts today. So th there's a new line that's been drawn and it's radical clarity. And we put the term radical in front of it because so many people struggle with clarity. They have the conversation that never happened of saying, you know, the team is like a chain and we're all links in that chain. And if you don't follow your part of the process, then other people won't follow their part of the process. And then the supervisor comes back to us and says, see, I told them that they needed a boop. And I'm like, but you never said that. You have to be stupid clear about that booping part. And then the second piece of the accountability is I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to see what that looks like. So like when I talked to the plant manager about it, I said, he was asking me like, how do we build that accountability in? And I talked about these things and he said, well, that sounds all nice, but I don't know that it's going to work. And I said, well, I'll show you how it's going to work. Can I, I will hold you accountable to making sure that they start to scan those parts. And he said, oh, how's that? What's that going to look like? And I said, well, first of all, do you understand why it's important to scan those parts? He goes, yeah, I'm all in on getting those parts scanned. I said, well, are you willing to do what you need to do to get those parts scanned? I said, yes. I said, great. You're showing ownership of it, but I'm going to keep following up with you on this. And so every time we talked for the next two weeks, my very first question, he would call and he would say, Don, how's it going? I'm like, I think it's going great. My first question to you is, are you scanning parts? Are you scanning parts? Are you scanning parts? And he got tired of me hearing about that. That's the second part of accountability. It's not the first conversation. It's all the follow-up conversations. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep coming back here. So don't wait till the end of the day, supervisor, to see if they're scanning parts. Go back 20 minutes later. Go back 15 minutes later. Stand over them while they're booping and make sure they're booping. And then when you leave, come back 30 minutes later to see if they're booping. And if they're not booping, like, guys, remember what we said? We're supposed to be booping here. It's that follow-up. I'm not going away is what happens when they own it. So that's a piece of the accountability that builds in. Is that me not being a servant leader? I you're, I think that's still servant leadership, right? You're not, you're not firing them for not doing it. You're not, not yet anyway. You're following up. You're, you're holding someone accountable to the things that you have already agreed to. You're holding the standard that has already been agreed to. And I think a lot of times when leaders think about servant leadership, they they want to fall to authoritarian, right? I want to fall to just do your job. I told you to do it, just do it. But in all of the circumstances we were talking about, authoritarian leadership wasn't working. They had already said, go do the thing, right? And so I think the servant leadership part is before that. And they've built a relationship with these people to say, I need you to do the thing the team needs you to do the thing. The company needs you to do the thing. Here's why we're doing the thing. And then it's e it's so much easier for people to be like, I get it. I'm going to do that. Instead of pulling them the whole way, you're kind of just saying, here's the thing. You go do it on your own. And I think that's so much more powerful than dragging someone along. Yeah. And the science tells us if you can't find a way to transfer the ownership of what needs to be done to the employee, they are not going to do it long-term. It's not going to stick. You will have to stand there and watch every single day to make sure that they do it, or and then they will stop doing it if they can't accept that ownership. But here's the thing is if they never accept that ownership, then, then the only reason for them to continue to come back to work is because you keep paying them to. 
And that is the moment when somebody needs to get fired. But what's I think is tricky and hard to understand about this is if you do it this way, if you start off with exactly what Bethany started off with is saying, I need to see where you're at. Like as the employee, this thing's not getting done. Like, let's talk about it a little bit. What's going on with it? What are we, what are we missing here? What am I missing? What are you missing? Let's figure that out and then put that on the table and then see if they own it or not. And if they own it, we're going to train, we're going to coach, whatever it is. And then we'll figure that out very confident that that will get solved. If they don't own it, then it's going to be the accountability, the radical clarity and accountability. I'm going to keep coming back. And if they still don't own it, then they may get fired. But if you follow that process, you are reducing the chance of somebody getting fired. Being willing to fire somebody and being willing to hold them accountable makes them more likely to be able to own it at the end of the day because it shows that you're serious about it. I know that's a hard thing to be able to understand because you're saying, I can't fire somebody because my team, I'm short on my team right now, we're seeing that like crazy. People are shorthanded. Like I don't have enough people to do the job. If you can fog the mirror and you show up, maybe you're not booping, but you're sure making parts and I need those parts made. And so I'm not gonna fight the boot battle because I want I need the parts made. But if you don't, if, if, if the boot battle is worth fighting because it also helps them to make the parts better. If they own doing the boops, they're also gonna own the parts. And they've actually seen that when the parts, when they started, <laughs> We're loving the boop language here. Our I'm sorry, talking. I feel like the best quote is like, if they're not owning the boop battle, <laughs> just like put that on such, put it on some mugs. If own you don't the win battle. the boop battle, you're not going to win the troop battle. That's the I message. Just, I just discovered the title for this podcast. It will be called Boop Battle. That's own what we're going battle. The, the boop battle, how to hold everybody accountable, right? Yeah, I love that. What, what's cool about that is once they started scanning on the floor, production also went up. So it should have gone down if you think about it. Like it actually added an extra step to the process. The production should have gone down, but it actually went up. And I think it went up because they started to understand a little bit bigger about how they played into the bigger picture. And they started to take ownership of the things that they were doing. And if anybody didn't take ownership of it, they weren't there anymore. And the rest of the team saw that and said, oh, this team is serious. Like I'm, we're, showed up, we're showing up here to work. So it actually increased their production after they started scanning when it should have decreased their production. And it's because people took ownership of that process. So that's servant leadership does not mean lack of accountability. Being people centric does not mean that sometimes you can't hold people accountable. It's got to be that balance between empowerment and alignment. It's what the individual needs, making the person more powerful, engaging the person individually, but also making the team more powerful at the same time which means that the team gets what they need all together. So that was a fun topic. Did you guys have fun with that one? Yeah, I like it. There's more it was, to think of. It was boopiful. It was, it was boopiful. Awful. We've done our boopy to, for today. Great job, everybody. So much booping. All right. So if you want to hear more boops and more booping podcasts, then you can join us, you know, or listen to whatever booping podcast you want to, right? Go check it out. Uh there's many other booping podcasts here. Oh, Cedric podcast. Well, if there's not yet, there will be. So there will be. Or or if this is the first booping podcast you've listened to from ours, like go listen to the other episodes that are out behind us there. We've been doing this for a while and we'd love to hear the feedback. So please share that with us and we will catch you next time on the People Centric Podcast. Thank you for listening to the People-Centric Podcast. We are so grateful for you joining us every week. If you like this content, please like and subscribe. Also, feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know. It really does help us. If you would like to contact us, I have put our information 
in the show notes. Please reach out anytime. We love hearing from you. We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.